Everybody said, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm so glad that all of you are here today. Amen. This is our third service so far today. Started at 645 at a beachside service with people getting baptized in the ocean with the sun coming up. Hallelujah. And then we had an 830 service. We're so glad you're here for our 1045 service. And of course, we've got uh, great things plan for even this afternoon there'll be four more services in different campuses and then tonight the uh, messiah performance in our last uh, performance of this easter season amen over 1600 people have already seen the messiah drama amen and tonight's going to be the grand finale looking forward to a packed out house amen if you've not seen it yet you've got to come and see the messiah performance tonight this year it's free been uh charged for a number of years for this but this year we wanted to do it free our theme is love god love church and love people we wanted to give back to our community and so many people have expressed their appreciation so this is a great day of celebration amen last night a group of our uh, prison ministry team went to orlando and ministered in uh, the prison in orlando and they said during the service they had to stop the service three times for guards to come in to count but all the count i guess turned out okay because they kept preaching and at the end, 25 of those prisoners came to the Lord. Amen. Well, God's working all over the place. Hallelujah. He is alive. Amen. God bless all of you for being here today. If you have your Bibles, I'll turn your attention to 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now, those of you that came, I hope you're able to find a parking spot. We have a picture. Our ushers are doing a great job uh, out in the uh, parking lot. Our parking team. They've been able to fit everybody in. They're doing a great job. Yes, there's a picture right there of our parking lot. <laughs> Not sure who owns that car, but we'll work it out afterwards. Amen. We do want you to know that we have bought the land across the street, and uh, we will be developing that this year. So thank you for uh, braving the parking lot challenges and uh, being here today. And uh, we'll make that a little smoother for you as we go forward. We are starting a sermon, of, uh, a series of sermons uh, today we're calling The Message in the Miracle. And this will run for four weeks on Sunday mornings. Of course, we invite you to be a part of this series. And if you look in your uh, bulletin, there's an outline you can follow along today um, as we uh, present these biblical principles to you. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Isn't it amazing how God is? It says we're beholding His glory as a glass. In other words, there's a certain amount of, of uh, you know, reflection that we get. 
But if we understand that what God did through this resurrection experience, it's not just limited to the garden scene, but it's something that God is doing in every one of our lives on a daily basis. And we are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God is really what is still working today in 2016 in transforming us and causing each one of us to have not just a story, not just a testimony, but to have an individual resurrection experience where God can change us and make us a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you today on this subject, the miracle of transformation. The miracle of transformation. Would you bow your heads and pray, Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house, thankful for the opportunity to worship you, thankful, Lord, for all of your children that have gathered, Lord, in this house today to honor you on this day of celebration. I pray that we would be transformed by your spirit and that your word would find good ground. Let it resonate in our hearts and our spirits and let our lives be changed. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Easter, as we commonly call it, of course, we as Christians love to call it Resurrection Day. And the reason that we call it that is because Easter at its core is a resurrection. And resurrection at its core is basically a changing in form or substance that brings new life. It's a changing in form or substance that brings new life. And it's interesting that when you really study the ministry of Jesus, you can see that his whole, his whole life was about transformation. It was all about miracles that transformed people's lives. And if you start from the very first miracle and you go all the way through his life, even to, of course, the transformation that took place in his own life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we see that this was really what his essence was. When you look at the transformation of Jesus, he performed miracles for everyone else. But then he saved the best for last. He transformed even his own life from Golgotha to the garden tomb, from the crown of thorns to the crown of life. Jesus prophesied of his own resurrection. He told his followers, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, the high priest, the people that gathered in the temple, they had a problem with that. They considered that blasphemy. But what Jesus was saying is that his power was not just to transform others but even his own life. Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a powerful God. He raised himself from the dead. Now, you've got to understand who Jesus was. He was not just a great teacher, not just a great prophet. He was all God and he was all man. His father was spirit. His mother was Mary. So he was all God and all man. And at the point of death, the Bible said he gave up the ghost. Ghost is an old English word for spirit. The spirit departed, or that God-like nature departed from him at the point of death. In fact, that God-like nature he oftentimes referred to as his father. Not that there was a separate person, but the separate manifestation of who God was. He was all God in spirit, that's the father, and yet in flesh, that's the son. But yet we know that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. One God. God manifest in the flesh. God robed himself in flesh, came down from the portals of glory and robed himself in flesh. And then Jesus then led us through this incredible life, this very short ministry of three and a half years. And then we find that at the point of Calvary, whenever that natural life was extinguished for him, the spirit went up 
empty heaven that he was then buried and on the third day rose again. When he rose again, that spirit re-entered into his life. And something happens, ladies and gentlemen, when the spirit of God touched every one of us in our humanity. I don't know how to describe it all. I can just say this, that when the spirit of God enters this flesh, it ignites something within that causes an explosion. Something supernaturally happens. It changes the nature. It energizes the particles. It it is a, a supernatural electricity that flows through the flesh. To understand the nature of a resurrection is to understand that Jesus Christ, in his very first miracle, also performed a transformation. In fact, if you're taking notes and you're putting this in your outline, I want you to write this down. Jesus was first and foremost a master transformer. If you don't take anything else out of this sermon except that one sentence, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ was and is a master transformer. He changed what he came in contact with. He changed lives. He changed those that he touched. He changed their perspective. He would change hearts. He's changing human bodies. He's touching them. He's healing them of leprosy, healing them of blind eyes. And ladies and gentlemen, that hasn't stopped only in the days of the Bible. That's still happening today on March 27th in 2016. Jesus Christ is still touching people's lives and transforming them. Christ is the only one that can transform you and change you in body, soul, and spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us in our humanity is made up of three things, body, soul, and spirit. Physicians may be able to work on you and help your body to heal, but they can't necessarily help your soul or spirit. There are people that may be able to help you with your spirit and help you overcome abuse and all kinds of heartache from your past. But ladies and gentlemen, it is only Jesus Christ that can save your soul. By his stripes we are healed. He can touch your body. He can resurrect your spirit. And he can save your soul. He's the only God that can transform you from the inside out. And can I tell you today that if you're going to serve a God, you might as well serve a powerful God. You might as well serve a God that can transform you in body, soul, and spirit. I wouldn't waste my time worshiping a Buddha that sits as an idol that doesn't have hands to heal and doesn't have eyes to see and doesn't have ears to hear. You're going to worship a God, you might as well worship the one that created these hands that can hear your cry and change you. When Jesus Christ went to Cana in Galilee, he was going to a wedding. He wasn't going to perform miracles. He was going because he was invited. And I kind of like the fact that Jesus Christ liked to go to parties. He went to be with friends. His mother Mary was going to be there. She was going to celebrate. We don't know all what the occasion was, but we just know that Jesus Christ was going to Cana in Galilee. Of course, you couldn't just hop in your car and go somewhere like we do now. I mean, he had to walk. It was an effort. There was a, a certain concerted effort that Jesus Christ and his followers took to go to a wedding, to celebrate with people. Isn't it awesome that Jesus Christ likes to celebrate? I think if you're going to be a Christian, you ought to be a Christian that celebrates life on a daily basis. Life is heavy. Life has a lot of heartache. But if you know Jesus Christ, every day ought to be a celebration. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. 
This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. It's a celebration. That's why when you come to a Pentecostal church, it's an interactive experience. This is not some lecture where we all sit quietly and listen to somebody teach. This is an interactive experience. You know why? Because we've all got the same spirit, being filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is the common denominator that's brought us all together today. So Jesus goes to this wedding, right? His mother was there. I'm sure she was glad to see him. I'm sure he was glad to see her. But then she started to brag on him, as mothers are prone to do. Some of the waters, you know, they, uh, they, uh, the waiters came around and they had these pitchers of water. And they said, you know, we've run out of the good stuff, you know. Like everybody that ever has fed a large group of people, you always worry about running out of food, right? Running out of refreshment. And the waiters came to him and said, hey, we, you know, the, the wine's gone, all we got is water. He says, he says, well, you need to go see my son Jesus and tell him that, you know, I sent him. And uh, that was her way, I think, of saying he can do anything. That's my son, Jesus. Go see him. Well, okay, we, we can and we will, but can you imagine their mind? How's he going to be able to help us? Does he have a private wine cellar? Did he bring some with him? What is he going to do? So they go over to see Jesus, and a lot of times you have to just obey even though you don't understand. Because God's working in ways that you can't always figure out. you just got to follow his word. Sometimes God will tell you to do something, you'll be like, that's the most illogical thing I've ever heard. But if you'll obey God, it'll turn out okay. So they went, and the waiters, you know, they... They came to Jesus, and the mother came. And, and, and Jesus, I, he must have either been embarrassed or he didn't want to start miracles yet or what. But he basically was uncomfortable. In fact, he said to his mother, woman, what have I to do with you? This was not the time when he wanted to start doing miracles. But God has always been one to respond to a need. Even a party that was in need, he responded to it. And so he said, go fill all the pitchers up with water. And they did. And, of course, as they served it, they said, my, you've saved the best for I'm going to tell you something, when God puts his finger in it, it's better than anything man can do on his own. <laughs> and now they're serving all this stuff, you know, and I got to thinking about that. I was like, Jesus wasn't planning on doing any miracles, but even his very first miracle of the miraculous was a transformation. When he told those waiters to fill those pitchers with water, that water became wine. It changed in form or substance. He changed somehow supernaturally. And I don't know how it all takes place, but somehow he changed all those particles. They became fermented. As you well know, in the Bible days, they had fermented grapes, and that's how they made their wine. But this is something that became fermented. And for something to become fermented, it requires a death. You know, they used to stomp on top of those grapes, you know, and all that. And they would all run out, and it was all those dead dried up grapes and the ferment and all that and yet somehow through that process I don't know how it all works but there's a death and then at some point there's a resurrection because that fermentation takes on a different characteristic it has a different nature it comes alive in fact in the old days they used to call it spirits that's right. They called it spirits. In fact, some of you may even still know that. From the old English, they used to call uh, uh, alcohol spirits because it, it came alive. It caused the person's nature to change. And even that, that was in there changed. And God, in the form of Jesus Christ, 
at the very first miracle, took water and changed it into wine, which was a transformation process. And then through his whole ministry, it was all these miracles of transformation. One miracle after another, a transformation, a transformation, touching people's life. He would stop a funeral procession and raise up a dead boy out of a casket. He would heal people of leprosy and blinded eyes and all of these different things. Why? Because it was all a transformation process. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same Jesus that we serve today. You can take a person who is hardened and decaying through the cares and the strains of life, but yet when the Spirit of God comes upon them, there is a resurrection that takes place. There's a light that comes on. There's a twinkle that returns to the eye. You know, when kids are little, they have that twinkle in the eye. They're excited about life. They're excited about the Easter egg hunt. They're excited about going to Disney World. They're excited about seeing mom and dad and seeing grandma and granddad. They're excited to get dressed up for Easter. But as life has a way of sort of beating us down with all kinds of heartache and disappointments and discouragement and things that we didn't expect, after a while, the light starts to flicker. And the eyes don't twinkle quite as much. It's like you just try to get them open to get the day started. And things have a way of just sort of extinguishing that light of our soul and our spirit. But when Jesus Christ touches you through the power of the Holy Ghost, I don't know how else to explain it, but other than to say the twinkle comes back to the eye, the light comes back on. There is joy. I I like what David said. He turned my mourning into joy. He's turned my sorrow into happiness. There's something that God does when he touches our human life He transforms us from our core. Our soul is supercharged with purpose and joy. There's simply nothing like it in this life. And ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection is not limited to just the garden tomb in Jerusalem. It happens every day. Every time a person comes to God, turns their life over to Jesus, this salvation process starts with death. Then it goes through the burial and then finally the resurrection. Jesus Christ told us that. We're saved through the death, burial, and resurrection. Peter preached about it in Acts chapter 2. You've got to understand, to come to the Lord, you've got to go through a death. That's repentance. That's really what death is. It's repenting. It's saying, Lord, I want my will to die out to your will. I told our uh, discipleship class, serve class this morning that we were teaching. I said, you've got to understand, the real key to being happy in life is that you've got to get your will to align with God's will. As long as you're doing your own thing apart from what God designed and created you to do, you'll never be fulfilled. I don't care if you become a billionaire and run for president of the United States. You still won't be happy until you get in alignment with what God designed you to be and called you to be and chose you to be. You'll never be happy. There's not enough money in this world that'll make a person happy if they're not in the will of God. But when you say, God, you chose me, you saved me, you created me, I want to spend my life serving you, worshiping you. That's when you really find fulfillment. And fruitfulness in life and the joy of the Lord that returns to your heart and to your life. That has to happen only whenever there's a death experience. You've got to have that old man dying out, that old will dying out. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not just some sort of half-hearted, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. It's saying, God, I want to be a new person. I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm tired of making all the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. I'm willing to get in the back seat. You take control of this life. And you, Lord, are the one that's going to steer this ship. And I'm going to just follow you and walk 
with you. You've got to have a death. You've got to have a repentance. You've got to say, Lord, forgive me of everything. I want to be a follower and a disciple of Christ. That's the death and then the burial. The Bible said in Romans 6, 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the way Paul describes it. He said that whenever your sins are forgiven, which is what takes place at baptism, but then there's a baptism of the Spirit. You know you have to be baptized. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We know we have to be baptized. That's a burial. What does that mean? Your sins are buried. The Bible describes it as being remitted or renewed. Something dies. You've got to give it a proper burial. When your sins die out, you're not the same person you were. You've got to give it a burial. The burial is in baptism. Oh, hallelujah. And when you are baptized in Jesus' name, you are taking the blood of Calvary and you are applying it to everything in your past so that when you come up out of that water, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Just like we saw right here in this baptismal tank that's a part of this drama, when John the Baptist started baptizing those people and even baptized Jesus, in the water, coming up out of that water, there was a confirmation in the spirit world that God, hallelujah, has been able to set the example. If Jesus Christ was baptized, shouldn't every one of us be baptized? It's the death, burial, and resurrection. The burial is baptism, and then Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. That, my friend, is the resurrection. The Bible says in Romans eight eleven, if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. Quicken your mortal body. That's the Spirit of God that comes upon us. When you and I are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you and I now have a resurrected spirit that is within us. And ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a day when the Lord, hallelujah, is going to turn to Gabriel and say, blow that trumpet. And the trumpet's going to sound. And the Bible said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. That's not a fairy tale story. That's not something that's been made up in the figment of somebody's imagination. That's the word of God. The Lord himself said, I shall return. And the Bible said, this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortality shall put on immortality. Once again, the master transformer is going to transform these lives, and these bodies are going to be changed. How is it going to take place? It's going to be because if you've got the resurrected spirit, that's why you got to have the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen. It is that resurrected spirit. It wasn't just for Christ on the, on the uh, cross and then in the garden tomb and then resurrected and then ascended from Mount Olive. This is a God that gives you his spirit. So that one day, hallelujah, your hope is not just in this life. One of these days, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us is going to have a transformed body. And we're going to spend eternity somewhere. It is the death, burial, and resurrection that we are saved from. And so after Jesus ascending, went into heaven, the disciples and the followers of Christ are obviously very discouraged. And they sort of, you know, just obeying the Lord once again, not sure what to do. Two men in white apparel, angels had to come down to remind them, go to Jerusalem and wait till the promise of the Father. So they go to Jerusalem, they gather in this room, it's called an upper room simply because it was upstairs. I've been to that room, I've walked through, there was 120 people that gathered there. It was down in Old Town, Jerusalem. It was an area that was originally the city of David. Very close streets. They gathered in that room. They started praying. Oh, you can still feel the Holy Ghost there, can't you, Bishop? We prayed right there in that room. That's the spot that Jesus said, the New Testament church is going to be established. This is what we are still a part of today, ladies and gentlemen. Over 2,000 years later. Started with 120 people gathered together in an upper room, in a room upstairs, close quarters, gathered together. 
And he started praying. And the Holy Ghost came upon him. There was 120 people in that room. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. The apostles, the disciples, those that were the really the closest followers of Christ. And they started praying. And they prayed one day, and they prayed two days and three days. And as they begin to pray, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, you got to understand that Pentecost was a time of celebration. You see, the Jews always celebrated Pentecost, which the word Pentecost actually means 50. It was 50 days after the Passover. And they celebrated the Passover because that was a, a way of remembering that they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. But 50 days after that, which 50 is the year of Jubilee, they would celebrate Pentecost. And that was synonymous with whenever Moses got the law on the Mount of Sinai. And that law that God spoke that down and wrote it on those tablets and put that law in their hearts and in their minds. That was a way that they remembered. So for thousands of years, the Jewish people had the Feast of Pentecost. And they would remember it. And people would gather from all over. And it would be a time of celebration. Just like, you know, we have Christmas Day, but then we have a Christmas season. Well, they had Pentecost Day, but there was a season of celebration. People gathered from all over. People had come from Pontus in Asia. and People had come from Cappadocia. People had come from all over. And they had gathered in Jerusalem for this time of festivity. And the Bible says in Acts 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they had been in a celebration season, but now it was the day of Pentecost. That means the time of fulfillment, the time of completeness. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled all the house where they were sitting. The Spirit of God, now the Lord chooses to once again blow the breath of His Spirit upon humanity. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And all, they started rejoicing and shouting. They started speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And this was a time that they started celebrating. And you know what, folks? It was loud. It was loud. For some of you that don't like loud church, you would not have liked the upper room. I don't think you're going to like heaven either. If you get there. Because everything I read about in Revelation, we get a glimpse into heaven, they're making a lot of racket up there. There's a lot of noise. They're throwing their crowns and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. People say, how come you Pentecostals make so much noise? Because we're excited. It's a celebration. You say, how do you know they were making so much noise in the upper room? Because the Bible said it was noise abroad. 120 people, they're in a room, they're shouting, they're glorifying God, they're happy. Spills out, people in the streets are all there for a big celebration, a big festivity, you know, a big time of holiday. And they all start to gather around. You know why they're gathering around? Because these people are loud. They're happy. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're getting after it. The third hour of the day, they're having church. And it spills out into all the streets. And all the people come and gather around. They're like, what's going on up there? What's all that noise up there? And they see all them people going, (laughs) and they say, they got to be drunk. Peter stands up, sticks his head out the window and says, Hey, these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. That meant it was 9 o'clock in the morning, much too early to start drinking. It's only the third hour of the day. They're not drunk as ye suppose. 
He starts to tell them what took place. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, I can't hardly tell you about this without getting excited. I won't tell you why. Because the same thing is happening today. That wasn't just for 120 people. The Bible said that same day, 3,000 people were added to the church. And then from there, it just started spreading like wildfire. So let me give you real quick four things that change when you receive the Spirit. Four things that change when you receive the Spirit. Because when you receive the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, it changes you from the inside out. And that change is not something that's temporary. It's something that is permanent. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the same spirit that healed the dead tissues of leprosy. It's the same spirit that turned water into wine. And it's the same spirit that's now turning humanity into vessels of honor. Four things that took place. Number one, the very first sign of people receiving the spirit of God was their language and this really meant unity because if you go back and you see how we have so many different languages, it goes back to the Tower of Babel. A lot of different languages were created and man tried to build his own tower to say that once again he would never be destroyed by flood. And so man tried to find his own way of securing his own existence apart from God's plan. And man's been trying to do this from day one. So they're trying to build this big tower and they couldn't work because God gave them all different languages and they couldn't communicate and the whole project got shut down. And all these different languages and people would say, hey, what language do you speak? And they all start to blah, 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 and they'd all gather, and that group would go over there because they all speak that language, and that group would go over there because they speak that. All different languages. And so people separated and scattered all around in different parts based on their languages. Well, guess what happened? When the Holy Ghost poured out, all these people started speaking in tongues or different languages. And the people that had gathered around on the, on the, on the bottom down there that was worried about what was going on with all these people up in the upper room, all the crowd that gathered around that were from other countries, they started hearing people speak in their native tongues. And you know what happened? There was a unity that took place. If the Tower of Babel was about confusion and disunity, Pentecost was about unity. Language change. I'm going to tell you something. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it's not just mumbo-jumbo. You are speaking a heavenly language. I, I was in China last year. went to four underground churches last year in China. I saw over 300 people receive the Holy Ghost experience that had never even heard about it before. I saw one lady who never had spoke a word of English in her life. As she was receiving the Holy Ghost, she started shouting out in perfect English, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You have no idea, but there's a unity that takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something about when you come to the Lord, there's got to be a unity that takes place. That's why when you come to the Lord and you're filled with the Spirit of God, it is the Spirit of God that should unify us. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who your mama or daddy was, what country you're from, the color of your skin, your socioeconomic background, whether you're Democrat or Republican. It is the Spirit of God that unites everybody together. It ought to unify us. It is the Spirit of God that brings us together. That is what is the common denominator that brings us together. And it unifies every one of us. That's why Paul said, we're neither bond nor free. We're neither Jew nor free. In other words, he's saying when you come into the family of God, you've got to put your differences aside and you've got to get... You've got to get united together in one common cause and that is to exalt the name of Jesus. Let this life exalt Him. Let it bring honor and praise to Him. Unity through language was the first thing that, that took place. The second thing that took place was forgiveness. Forgiveness. Because when Peter started preaching to this crowd, he started explaining to them what all had happened. We find that 
he said this, those men are not drunk as you suppose, being upon the third hour of day, but this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. He goes back and he refers back to the prophet Joel. And Joel was an Old Testament prophet that talked about how that the day of the Lord would come. Ladies and gentlemen, the day of the Lord is a time of judgment and salvation. The judgment that took place through the day of the Lord was forgiveness. The day of judgment brought forgiveness, and through that came salvation. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, you can't get to Pentecost unless you go through the cross. You've got to go through the cross to get to Pentecost. You can't have Pentecost without the cross, and you can't have the cross without Pentecost. They all go together. That's why when they asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent of your sins. That's the death. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the burial. And be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection. And all of that took place. The reason that those disciples were able to go forward and they were able to change the world was because it was at that point of Pentecost that they forgave those that had crucified their master. They would have never been able to change the world if they operated from a position of bitterness. But it was at the point of forgiveness and the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen, will make you lay down things, attitudes, feelings, heartaches, hurts, sufferings. It is the Holy Ghost that changes us, brings unity and brings forgiveness. But it doesn't only stop there. The third thing that happens is wisdom. The Lord gave Peter wisdom. Peter was the guy who was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was the one chopping off the ear of the servant of the high priest when they came to take the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times. Peter was the one who tried to rebuke Jesus, and the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was the one who, though he had a good heart, was always saying the wrong thing. Doing the wrong thing. He was impetuous. But he got wisdom when the Holy Ghost come upon him. Because as he stands up there in that upper room, I don't know if he's hanging out the window, I don't know if he came out on the step, but as he's preaching to that crowd that's gathered in the streets, he begins to tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, he was telling them, this is not just some scandal that took place where a body has disappeared and nobody knows where it is. This is the plan of salvation. This is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God gave him wisdom. And the fourth thing that took place was evangelization. Ladies and gentlemen, you receive the Holy Ghost. Not only does it bring unity and forgiveness, and not only does it bring understanding, having clarity of thought and wisdom. But then there's something about receiving the Holy Ghost that gives us a desire to want to share it with other people. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I were never created to just be reservoirs of the blessings in the Spirit of God. He created us to be conduits that the Spirit of God would flow through us and into the lives of other people. That's why in Acts 1 he told his followers, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's going to change you from the inside out. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of things in life that can change you. I was taking my boys recently to a spring training baseball game. And uh, as I was talking to them about baseball, I just started watching the people around me. And I just got so fascinated with people's fascination with alcohol. It amazes me about how people are fascinated with alcohol. I mean, they'll pay any amount of money. It's almost a love affair. They'll pay any amount of money. They'll talk to strangers about it. They take pictures with their beer. They go, beer, beer, hot peanut and beer, got cold beer. Oh, I got cold, oh, I got cold beer. And everybody's around, they got this and that. And they hold it, they caress it. It's like a little baby. 
They nurture it. They have enough of them, they start singing to the bottle itself. They carry it around. They'll talk to a stranger about, you got a Bud Light, I got a Bud Light, you got a Bud Light. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable deal. And I just started watching all this. I was so fascinated with it because I can't even stand the smell of one. And I'm like, what is it that people are so fascinated about? I'll take a picture. I got one. You got one. Oh, it's my baby. And it's just all of this on and on and on and on. And I was just kind of watching the game and watching this, you know, a little microcosm of our culture. And I was thinking, what are those people doing with alcohol? Then I thought, you know what? It must be because in every bottle there's a change agent that's in it. It must be that there's this love affair because it does change your nature. But ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't change it for good. It causes you to do crazy things like drive recklessly, kill other people that are innocent. It causes men to beat their wives, homes to be broken up. It does so many deplorable things. But what is so clear to me is that people desire a change. And as I was watching that baseball game, I thought, Lord, the devil can only try to replicate what you do. You're the only one that can change. And you don't have to worry about having a negative hangover. You don't have to worry about doing some disastrous thing to hurt your family or some other innocent person. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ changes you, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All those old habits, they pass away. What a mighty God we serve. There's no negative side effects to being saved. I want to say that really clear today. There are no negative side effects to being saved. You become a better husband, you become a better wife, you become a better father, you become a better employer, you become a better employee. You become a stronger part of the fabric of our community. You become a better citizen. All of it because Jesus Christ changes you. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. Whatever is an artificial replication of the change, the transformation that only Jesus Christ can do, let me tell you something about it. It'll never last. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. I read a book a number of years ago that's a fascinating book. It's a book that was called The Experienced Economist. It was written by two authors, James Gilmore and Joseph Kine, used to be executives at IBM. And they, they examined our economy in the different stages that it's gone through. And, of course, they're examining the experienced economy where people nowadays just, they don't want to just go out to eat. They want to have an experience. Disney World was a big part of it. People don't want to just go to an amusement park now. They want to have an experience. We went into this experienced economy. They analyzed our culture and all the different stages that it goes through. And they say, we're an experienced economy now, but we're moving into, and they called it a transformation economy. And they said the difference between an experience and a transformation is that an experience is temporary, but a transformation is permanent. Well, I tell you what, I read that and I, got, I could feel the Holy Ghost just reading it in a book about business. And I got to thinking, that's what you do, Lord. And they said this in their book. They said the transformation economy is what we're moving into in our American culture and it will be the final economy because there is no higher place that you can go than a permanent transformation 
So nowadays, people don't want to just go on vacation. They want to learn how to play golf. They want to learn how to cook. They, want to, they don't want it to just be a temporary experience. They want it to be a permanent transformation. I want to learn a new skill. Ladies and gentlemen, when I read that, I thought to myself, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has brought us to the crossroads of life where he offers us not just a Pentecostal experience, but a spiritual transformation of your innermost being. That's not going to just wear off when you walk out these doors. That's not going to just fade away next week when you come against some problems on your job. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm telling you about today is a transformation from the God of transformation, from the master transformer that will change you from the inside out and make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Would you stand to your feet this morning? There's nothing like it. Only God can change you from the inside out. He's the only one that can make you a new creature. He's the only one that can change you in your innermost being, change your spirit and your soul, change your way of thinking, your way of living, transform you into a person that has purpose and peace and joy and peace. Only God can do that. Would you bow your heads with me in a moment? Would you close your eyes? Lord, I thank you for this beautiful congregation of people, your people, Lord people that you created, that you breathed into them the breath of life. And now, Lord, you desire to breathe upon each of us again through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, as we gather in your house today, celebrate your glory, celebrate your goodness, celebrate your resurrection. We would also, Lord, have a revelation that this resurrection is something that you desire to give to every single individual. I pray, God, that you would give your people courage today. Say, Lord, whatever it is, I put it in your hands. You transform it, Lord. You change it. You let it be, God, to bring you glory. If it's a, a trial or a trouble, God, you may be bringing us through it so that we'll have a testimony. We're asking you, Lord, to transform us from the inside out. Make us, Lord, vessels of honor and praise that can bring glory to you. Let every one of these lives let them bring glory to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to step down of where you're standing. Come down to this altar. And whatever it is that you need God to transform, whatever it is that you need God to change, why don't you come right now? Why don't you bring it down here and put it in front of the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. I've struggled with it. Whatever the situation may be, maybe a health issue, maybe a situation in your family, in your home. Or maybe you just need to come down here and say, Lord, forgive me of every sin. Cleanse me, Lord, from the inside out. I want to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Why don't you bring it to the Lord right now on this resurrection day? Why don't you bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. I'm coming, Lord. I'm going to put it before you right now. And I'm asking you, Lord, you take it. You change it. And you let it be something that brings you glory and honor. God bless you right now as you come in Jesus' name.